You're listening to Multi New Media for the week of August 10th, 2015. I'm Chase Raz, a university instructor, corporate trainer, and business developer, and I'll be your host for this show. I'll be back in just a few moments with all the details, so sit tight. everybody again my name is Chase Raz and I'm the host of Multi New Media today uh, on this show we're going to be talking about technology and education and uh, you know we're a technology show primarily and we try to focus on a few key areas like business media marketing and education and um, like we said we'll be focusing on that education portion today and I'll bring Christopher Woodward on the show in a moment but I just kind of want to reiterate that as an educator myself I teach at a uh, at a university, uh, a private university, and there is such a deficit sometimes of technology in education, and then in other times it's just complete overload of putting too te- too much technology in, and really putting technology in for technology's sake rather for uh, rather than for the benefit of students, or rather than for the benefit of whatever whatever else you may want, want to benefit for in education um, by deploying technology. But we're going to get into these topics a little bit later. Um, I guess I guess I can keep this intro to an absolute minimum and uh, give you some contact information for us in case you are interested in this or other topics. And then I'll bring Christopher Woodward. So first of all, if you ever want to contact us here at Multinew Media, just go to multinewmedia.com. You can also email us at feedback at multinewmedia.com. And we are all over social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on so on and so forth. Just go to uh, multinewmedia.com slash community and you can find out all of the places that we're currently residing online. And uh, again, every single episode that's posted on multinewmedia.com has a comments section located at the bottom of it. So as we always say uh, towards the closing of a show, I'm going to move this up front today. The show, uh, you know, will end at a certain point, but that's just the beginning of the conversation. And I imagine with a topic like technology in education that a lot of people are going to have a lot of things they'd like to say about it. So feel free. Go to multinewmedia.com. Check out where we live on social media and uh, send us an email or drop a comment on the episode page. All right. So now I'll go get Christopher Woodward and I'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back, and with me is Christopher Woodward. Christopher, it's always so awesome to have you on the show. Yes, it is, isn't it? It is. It's a real ple- <laughs> The pleasure is all mine, sir. Uh, you're doing all right, I, I suppose. I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. Always, always a pleasure to be here to talk some tech with you. So, yeah. And today, 
uh, we're talking about something that's near and dear to both of our hearts, I think, and that is uh, technology and education. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I'm look- actually, I'm looking at my show notes here, and uh, I'm looking at the wrong one, so I almost said something else. We're not talking about that other thing. We're talking about technology and education. So what I said is, is luckily right. So you, you fell down the stairs and landed on your feet, which is what you need to do sometimes. Yeah, if I were a cat, I just lost a life. Um, all right, so here's the here's sort of the, the secret thing I did for those listening who don't know. Um, if, you've, if you've never been one of my students, if you've never worked with me on a project, if I've never consulted your company, um, then you may not know that I like to leave things vague and uh, see what happens within people's minds. So, Christopher, what I did with you was said, hey, let's talk about technology and education, and I gave, what, no further follow-up, right? That was it. That's all you told me. <laughs> so I'm curious to see. Um, but then again, you know, you and I have worked together in, in a number of projects and another, uh, another place as well, and you know I do that. So what crossed your mind? Where is the starting point you'd like to start uh, after... I opened that very generic statement up for you. Well, it's funny, but my, my original thought went went way back to my own education and and, and my thoughts of because I grew up, you know, in, in the era where the computer, the, the use of the personal computer, uh, the use of computers in schools was growing and, and was a topic. Uh, you know, my elementary school, uh, I remember, you know, the library getting computers. And it was probably a, 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 a primitive knockoff of a Commodore 64 or whatnot, but it was a big deal that there were now computers in the library. And then... What, you didn't have Apple IIEs? No, I don't think they were Apple IIEs. I, they were really a poor man's Commodore 64, I think. I don't even remember the brand, to be honest. I mean, it's going so far you, back. But You're making me feel spoiled here. I had an Apple IIe was the first computer I used. But then, you know, I also... I was part of that generation though, that went from... You know, not not necessarily the manual typewriter. I'm not that old, but uh, the electronic typewriter, word processor, to then a PC, and and you know, watching it grow. And, and I, you know, in college, uh, you know, Windows 95 uh, coming out when I was in college, and, and just how that changed everything. The way you know, going from Windows 311 to Windows 95, and I always think of you know, use of computers in school and whatnot, and. It's interesting because I have a young son, and uh, the other day I was at his school uh, hooking up the computers in the classrooms. How'd they sucker uh, you into doing that? Uh, well, you know, I'm, a, I'm just a really nice guy. You're a nice and, guy. You know, uh, I offered, and uh, I was hooking up, and they, and they use different systems. They use, you know, which anyone with, with young children might be familiar with the Waterford system and some of the different programs that they're using in elementary schools. This is all elementary schools, obviously, I'm talking about right now, young children. Um, but in, in one one of the classrooms, a uh, a classroom for um, developmentally disabled students, they had three PCs fully hooked up and three uh, computers linked into their Waterford system. Uh, there's six computers in a classroom right there, All right. and just I have to pause you here for the for the rest of us out here. Um, what is this Waterford thing? It, it's just it's it's a it's a program that they use with young elementary school children. It's very basic. It helps them. With all of the skills that you would expect them to be learning in elementary school, uh, color, you know, shape, math, that type of stuff. Exactly, basics. You know, it, it, it's what they should be learning at that grade level, which okay. is what I mean, my long diatribe here is leading up to. Is 
technology in a classroom, and this is what I thought about when you mentioned technology education, I think about using the tools, using technology, using the tools to teach the things that students in schools have been learning for years, but teaching them in a modern way to prepare themselves for a modern world. And then the other thing that popped into my head <clears throat> was a discussion I was having regarding the use of tablets in school and in classrooms. And I will never forget a comment was made to me about how they shouldn't have those in school. And I said, what, the tablets? And the person said, no, they shouldn't have tablets in school. And, you know, It's creating a lazy generation. And I said, have you ever been to an ATM at your bank? And the person looked at me and said, well, of course I've been to an ATM at my bank. I said, it's a touch screen, isn't it? And they said, yeah. And I said, you ever been at Chili's? And the person said, yes. I said, you know, they got the little do-it-yourself to get your bill and order another round of drinks. That's all a touch screen, isn't it? He said, yes. And I said, so what's wrong with teaching children how to use a touch screen considering the fact that you're using it every day in your life now? <laughs> That's a very touche moment. I like that. That's um, You do think about that. Is a, um, uh, we've shifted a lot towards job training instead of knowledge acquisition. And we could talk about whether that's good or bad, but really job training is important even if you are a knowledge acquisition institution. And um, I mean, hey, whether you're going to work in, uh, let's say you work in food service, um, you need to know how to use that interface. If you work in uh, any type of hospitality, really, I mean, imagine what a hotel is doing. Uh, I already mentioned food service. You, you need to know how to interface with that device. That's a really good point. You know, you need to, it's, you're learning the future, just like back in, Whatever time, you, know, you need to learn how to use a typewriter. You know, if you ever want to be able to type a letter, you need to learn how to use this. Well, guess what? You need to learn how to use a touch screen. You need to learn how to use these devices because they're part of your life now. You know, you, you can't deny this. If you're going to go to a bank, you better be ready to use a touch screen at the ATM. They don't have an alternate ATM for people that don't want to use a touch screen. So, you, you know, and there's a lot of people in the late 20th century who said, well, I don't need to learn to type because somebody else will do it. And we had, we created all these artificial class designations of people and what type of job does that and who those people are that fill those positions. And you know what they didn't count on? Those people who didn't learn to type, the people who thought, well, I'm going to have a job above that or whatever. What they didn't count on was the computer revolution and the automation that took a lot of those jobs away and either gave those, you know, people who used to be secretaries and whatnot, gave them more power and made them into administrative assistants and then all of a sudden you have this tier of managers, typically middle to upper management in large corporations, and I've dealt with this personally, um, who, who are looking and saying, all right, well, now I'm lost. Everybody else in the organization knows how to type. The younger people do. The people who used to have the position that reported up to me do, even though we're now equal. And here I am left being passed up for promotions. No, and it's, it's just, it's a sign of the times. I mean, I, I, you know, I did do a little bit of... Uh of research before getting on to just I want to have some numbers and uh, research on this show. What's that? I know. Shocking. <laughs> Net, Net, National education technology plan uh, did a report. 90% of kids aged five through 17. So we're talking school age use computers. 90%. I think that number's low. Are we talking U S we're talking U S 90%. Okay. Maybe it's right on 97. Seems low. This is interesting, though, and this is where where ninety seven percent of kindergartners have computers at home or at school, which is the big point there at school. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and it just it, it's almost a hundred percent. You know, it's almost across the board at this point. Right, the adoption curve is just so fast now, and and you know, forget the computers. We might as well say internet connected device of some type, and then inch it up a little bit further. True enough, and and just again, so many tools that are available. I, I obviously not every school has smart boards at this point. But the schools that do have smart boards, replacing you know the whiteboard, which of course replaced the old school chalkboard, um, you know projectors, and it just again I always think to my own experiences. Can you imagine the, the the tools that we used or I used, you know, compared to the tools that are available now in schools? I came from the era of film strips, you know, mimeograph machines, overhead projectors. You know, I mean, this was radical technology at different points. Now, with video and internet and, you know, just the access to different programs and, and different software, it's just, it's a totally different game. And it's one of, you know, as a society, we should be embracing because the generation that came after me, the generation that's going to come after this generation is a smarter, wiser generation in a lot of ways because they're more efficient, because they've had more access, more training. You know, again, obviously we're a technology website here, so you know we push technology, but just its uses in education and the way it's preparing, you know, this next generation for the future to me is awesome. And I think a lot of people. Um, I'm sorry to keep going to the end game here, but a lot of people out in the the world of work, the adult world, uh, the PG version of adult world. Um, they look at that efficiency and they say, well, by golly, to sound like an old man, right? I have to say, by golly, by golly, these kids are lazy. And uh, I really do question whether um, the the new entrants into the workforce are truly lazy um, because I think every generation says that about the generation that, prece- uh, that, that follows them. Um, or if we are really hitting a level at which people are truly efficient at the tasks that they set out to do, and we are thereby destroying that notion of do I need to work X number of hours a week just for the sake of doing it or do I need to scale it? Which brings me to the point about school. Is the structure of school, let's let's move on from the technology for just a moment and then we'll come back to it. Is the structure of school working for current generations like it did, hopefully, fingers crossed, for us? I think it is, and I think it works better, and here's why. It goes back to part of it being the efficiency and the ease of use of some of these items. Let's go for one second to, uh, I'll say, intermediate junior high school level, right? When when you have to start doing research papers. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, depending on the school. Yeah, well, time for the research paper. So back in in my day, if I can do my old man (laughs) bit now, I would have to go to the library, the local public library, or the school library, or if I was lucky enough to have that, that volume of the encyclopedia, because, you know, you had to get a volume every month and whatever. But yeah. that's how I researched the paper. I would have to go for the encyclopedia. I would have to go to the library. So it would take me, and then when you went to the library, especially those of you that remember public libraries, I'm talking to the older generations now, you know, to go to the card catalog to find a book or to find the microfiche. There's another antiquated one for you, microfiche. Microfiche, yeah. And and don't forget, that card catalog to find the microfiche was also using Dewey Decimal, just like the books were. So you had to know all of these things. 
So by the time I found the resource to get the information, to put into the paper, to work on a paper, let's say I just used six, seven hours of time. Now, let's look at current generation. Now you get to read the research. Doing the same research. I go on the internet, I use a search engine, I find not just one resource, I find multiple resources. I have the time to review multiple resources, put them up against each other, work on my paper. Oh, guess what? It's only taken me now three hours. I have another several hours with which I can further enhance that paper. I can do more research on that paper. I can check my sources better on that paper. I can do more with that. The end result is time has not changed. Seven hours is seven hours. But back then, my seven hours, even working as hard as I could, gave me one kind of result. Whereas the current generation can take those seven hours and come up with a much greater result. Now, someone else will say, well, what if the student just used two hours and then wasted the rest of their time doing something else? Well, people Same thing we did, right? In, in the 1980s and the 1970s, and kids have always wasted time. But, but that, to me, is, is the crux of the situation. Technology has allowed students, just as adults, better use of their time and the opportunity to take that same amount of time, because time has never changed, that same amount of time and come up with a better end product. Right. You know, I I kind of had a loaded um, reason for asking this question. Not not as loaded as I'm making it sound, sound but, you know, I'm I, when I asked about technology and education, I uh, came up with my initial answer, which was, I'm not sure that... Any specific technology is all that important within technology uh, or within education. And that what the real thing is that we uh, in the American K-12 through system that internationally needs to happen. And we know in the U.S. system, in the American system, we're, we're behind most of the developed world. And, and I, you know, I don't know if I can say we're working on it or not. I think um, a lot of people are um I don't know if things are getting better or worse. We'd have to look at the numbers. But what I truly feel needs to happen anywhere, good, bad, or in between, is innovation more than technology, right? So you, and I'm, I'm going to steal directly from you, Christopher, you said earlier that it's about using the tools. It's not necessarily about the tool itself. And that was my loaded reason for for uh, uh, talking about this topic because we, you know, I, I came up with a list. We have tablets, smart boards, um, e-readers, phones that are, come on, what what K-12 through kid in the United States does not have access to a phone, right? And I know a lot of them don't carry them, and especially if they're younger, they probably shouldn't unless it's for tracking. And most kids really shouldn't be taking a phone to school, but they are. Uh, and if not, their friends are. And so we have access to all of these things, but what they really are best used for is to innovate the way of learning. So there, there are two truths, and the, the, these are these are the answers that I came up with. Beyond the technology, there are two things that I think we need to deploy technology in education in order to accomplish. And I'm curious about your your thoughts on these. First is to realize that almost all learning happens individually. Even when you're in a group, you are one individual experiencing one perspective of something. And so whether you're reading a book, that's learning. Whether you're watching a video, it can be YouTube, it can be academic, it doesn't matter. You're, you're learning. We are learning beings. 
and that we still need the formality of school and education, but that most learning happens solo. You, can, you, you can't force someone to learn, just like that old, uh, old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You can take somebody to school, but you can't make them learn. And so that if we understand through technology that we can democratize education, that we can make it an individual process, even in a collaborative setting, that people can learn at their own pace, that they can do kind of what their predilections and their interests and skills take them to. And I'm not I'm not going to go so far as to advocate that, oh, technology needs to reinstate the VOTEC system or, or career aptitude testing or that type of stuff. But it does bring me to the second point, and this is a place that I have seen schools, uh, both K through uh, 12 uh, and, um, and post-secondary, um, as well as companies, really shy away from. I feel like people are scared from what I'm about to say. And uh, this topic is asynchronous learning. As an instructor, we're both instructors. We're both university teachers, right? Mm-hmm. We, uh, and, and you have kids who are in the K through 12 system. Uh, and and preschool, right? Yeah. So, one of the things that I really want to stress is, with this solo learning, even in collaborative um, situations and even in multi-person uh, situations, the ability to learn at your own pace, on your own time, is so important. So, I, I ask this about corporate trainings I do. They say, oh, will you come in and present this technology or present this idea? And I say, well, do you really want that as an on-site training or do you want it in a video series that you can deploy over and over for new hires as you want? And people go, oh, that sounds so great. But, you know, and then the fear comes in. But we've never used it before. We don't know if it'll work. What if something changes? And I see that same thing in education of what do you mean the teacher is going to be there but not lecturing nonstop or is going to be there and deliver the lesson through a video that's assigned for homework, which is called flipping the classroom, right? What do you mean the teacher's going to be there but not teach? And instead of giving homework, they'll assign a video, and then they'll go in and work during the day. I think that people are still scared of the technology in education because of what it does, and that is make us realize that education is a solo sport, even even with multiple people, and that asynchronous learning is a wave of the future. Now, I've just made some very loaded statements that a lot of people who listen that are in the education field are probably mad at me right now. So, Christopher, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. What, what do you think about the idea of flipping a classroom or being asynchronous or saying, learn on your own time, learn this at your own pace, and then uh, as a teacher, as a st- instructor, as a facilitator, I'll be there to help you guide, or to guide you through the process and uh, avoid any pitfalls you may come across. Uh, I, I think the knee-jerk reaction is because some people want what they had themselves when they're talking about their children. Well, no, I want that structure of the classroom and the teacher talking like that and then talking at them. And the truth is, though, I mean, asynchronous learning is not something necessarily new. Right. You you could go back to you know probably. Like World War II, I, I would guess, is, is when, when the U.S. military started doing, you know, training films. Yeah, and, training and having, films and even cartoons, yeah. You know, and, and things like that. I mean, that's asynchronous learning, you know. Um, you know, discussion boards. Uh, you know, we, we both have taught online students where we use discussion boards where the students have the option of how involved they get and not get and how much they want to put into it and when 
they're going to put into it. They're working on their own schedule, and, you know, and that's a form of asynchronous learning. The, the flipping the classroom, you know, where, yeah, you, the teacher is essentially there to guide and to offer assistance, but the students doing the work themselves and then really receiving the lecture pre-recorded, you know, as a video or as a podcast or what have you. You know, I, I think it's a it's an avenue worth exploring and worth using. And I think again, where people worry or, or they freak out is asynchronous learning does not necessarily mean everything is being done asynchronous. You you can you can mix the traditional with that and, and form a more unique curriculum for students. Again, at the end of the day, learning is an individual task because as a teacher, and, and we, let's go old school again for a minute. I'm, a, I'm the teacher. I'm, I'm a history professor. I'm an English professor. I'm whatever you want to do. Here's your homework. Well, little Johnny goes home and reads the chapter as soon as he walks in the door because he wants to get that chapter done and then he wants to be able to go play. Whereas little Jimmy comes in and he reads three paragraphs and then decides that he's just going to sit and think about it for a little while. And then he's going to read another paragraph. And then he's going to go play. And then he's going to come back and read it later. You know, again, they're both getting the opportunity to learn, but they're learning at their speed, their level, the way they want to ingest the material. But again, the other thing, and again, this is the give and take, it also puts personal responsibility back on the student. And in the case of younger children, it puts personal responsibility on the parents as well to make sure that little Johnny is actually watching the video that he was assigned for homework. And, and, and that's, that's a slippery slope. Top. Yeah, because I'll tell you, my, my uh, uh, mom was a secretary in an elementary school. She just retired recently. And the stories that uh, she would tell me of, you know, parents coming in and saying, hey, my kid doesn't have shoes. Why didn't you buy them? Give them shoes. We know you have, you know, shoes in case of an emergency, right? If something happens to a kid and, and something happens to they're not clothed we know you have backups why didn't you do that or they'd come in and say hey you know my my kid made a c or a d or an f in this class um why can't you get on to the teacher and it's like well you know let's think about this for a moment it's not the teacher's fault that there was no uh support system outside of the classroom and i'm not blaming the parents and i'm not blaming the student but i'm saying there are there's a combination of things in each individual situation that leads to failure. And um, to, to kind of sum it up in one way, it seems like we're both hitting, hinting at the same point, that technology moves us into a new place to where we can not only learn at our pace, but we can have new tools for delivery if we're the instructor or the teacher, that we can engage on a deeper, more meaningful level, whether it's video conversations, discussion boards, real-world face-to-face collaboration. But there is that hesitation of, well, New students now don't have to go to the library, so their research isn't as high quality or it's not as impactful. They don't have that experience. Or, you know, you don't have a textbook, so you lose a qualitative experience by not touching the pages and flipping them instead of using it. Uh, you know, now we use a tablet or an e-reader. Um, it may go back to that point you, you mentioned of people really just, they remember what they had and possibly they want that to move forward, but... You know, there there still is a question about technology and education and a, and a hesitation to put it in. And if if you were going to talk to maybe some educators out there that listen or school administrators for any particular level, 
what would you say to them as the takeaway you'd like them to know? If they had you for just a couple of minutes, what's the takeaway you'd like them to know about the potential benefits of really wisely choosing the right technologies and uh, letting them do what they do in education? I think I would say that education has always gone hand-in-hand with technology. If you go back to the earliest days, the printing press being invented was an example of technology that helped enhance the educational experience. Don't be so stuck in your ways that you don't recognize the potential. And will every tool necessarily be the right tool for your classroom, your situation, your students? No. Some tools will be more effective than others. That's trial and error. But again, that's also part of education. You know, part of education is letting it grow, letting it breathe. There are classes and courses that are taught now that weren't even thought of 20 years ago. There's techniques being used now, especially, and and we could probably do another two or three hours when we talk, because we've really been talking just about the average student at this point. We haven't even gotten into students with learning disabilities and the way technology has changed the way those students are taught and engaged and connected with. It is radically different. So I would say just I I would say to anyone almost in any field, don't fear the technology. Experience it. Use it. Try it out. At the end of the day, all you're doing is giving yourself an opportunity for something that can benefit your students. Right. Re- remember, chalk and the chalkboard are a technology. A textbook is technology. Markers, overhead projectors, um, all of the lamination, all of these things are, are technologies that we use in education. Um, not to turn this into a session of let's just preach and promote the use of technology everywhere, but for those out there who are who are in education or in even into corporate training or adult education or anywhere you find that you are not only influencing others but responsible for them learning something and, and getting through a process um, try some new things out right understand that maybe you deploy a new technology that's that's you know computational in nature and it may not be the primary use so like deploying a tablet we all think of using tablets to read Word documents while we're lounging in front of the TV and to play quick little games from the App Store. But what can that tablet do if put in the hands of a student? If they can watch your lecture over and over, if they can do an interactive game instead of relying upon a lecture or a book. And I think if I were to sum everything up from my position is is exactly what I said before about halfway through. It's not that we should just blindly promote technology in education. It's truly that we need to take a look at the appropriate technologies to ask ourselves this question, how can we innovate and make the experience, right? Because almost everything boils down to the experience and make the experience better for students, for faculty, for staff, for parents, for everyone involved in the education of an individual. How can we improve that experience in order to improve knowledge retention, happiness, successful job placement, and all of these other metrics that we should be measuring rather than maybe, you know, no offense to anyone, but maybe more than test scores, right? Uh, so, I, you know, I'm going to get off my soapbox. I didn't intend to, to, to be so soapboxy, if that makes sense. So I'm going to jump off that soapbox. And Christopher, I'm, you know what? I'm going to do something new. I always, 
I always take the reins and end the show. I'm going to hand it over to you. You can go as long or as short as you want, but I'm just going to hand the show over to you now because I, I kind of feel like I'm being a little bit too preachy. You know, I, I think it's just, you know, it's natural for us to be pushing it because obviously, one, we're involved in education. Two, we're involved in technology. We see the benefits. We see the logical connection. Uh, and I think the reason we get preachy is when we feel people are being resistant to it for really no no solid reason. You know, um, I, I do want to touch one more time on the whole idea of the experience. And, and, and people complain about the experience and you know, the computers. It makes it impersonal. and They don't have to, to walk to the library. They don't have the experience of going through the card catalog and, and the books and whatnot. And to those people, I say, do you want to go back to the days of driving a car that doesn't have four-wheel drive in, in the snow and rain? Uh, would you want to go back to not having an umbrella that you know pops open automatically when it's pouring on your head? Uh, you know, again, it's it's a technology embracing issue. You know, you need to embrace the technology. I will say this though, and this has always been the case: the future of all industries it all starts with education the better prepared we can make the next generation the better the business world will be the better the social world will be the better the world will be it all starts with education um you know some people say we know too much at this point we've become too smart for our own good uh, I don't believe that for a moment. I believe that the potential of the human mind is limitless. And technology is just one small part of a much more important and broader-based view of education and preparing future generations to help make this world a better place. So at this point, we could probably queue up you know, a Michael Jackson song like Heal the World or something like that. But instead, I will say for Chase Rezvodowski, I'm Christopher Woodward. Thank you for listening. There's a place in your heart, and I know that it is love. And this place be much brighter than tomorrow. And if you really try, you'll find there's no need to cry. In this place, you feel there's no hurt or sorrow. There are ways to get there. If you care enough for the living, make a little space, make a better place, heal the world, make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. There are people dying. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.